Good morning. Would you turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of Deuteronomy and chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4, and I'll read verses 1 to 10. Verse 1. Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments, which I teach you for to do them, that ye may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God your fathers giveth you. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did because of Baal Peor, for all the men that followed Baal Peor, the Lord thy God hath destroyed them from among you. But ye that did cleave unto the Lord your God are alive, every one of you, this day. Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me, that ye should do so in the land whither ye go to possess it. Keep therefore, and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes, and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what nation is there so great, who has God so nigh unto them, as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for? And what nation is there so great that has statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law, which I set before you this day. Only take heed to thyself, and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. But teach them, thy sons and thy sons' sons, especially the day that thou stoodest before the Lord thy God in Horeb, when the Lord said unto me, Gather me the people together, and I will make them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days that they shall live upon the earth, and that they may teach their children. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we bow again in your presence on this Lord's Day, a day that is set aside for us to come and gather to worship you. O oh Lord, we pray that our worship may be pleasing in your sight that we might come with hearts prepared to give thanks and praise to a God who loves us, to a God who cares for us, a God who is able to meet our every need. O oh Lord, how we pray for forgiveness where we fall short of giving you honor and glory and praise. We pray for each one bowed in your presence, you know each need. You know the secrets of the heart. But oh, how we pray that you would give strength, comfort, encouragement. Above all, Lord, draw us to yourself that we might come to know you in a greater measure, to know the love of God. Lord, we pray for those unable to be here with us today and pray that you'd be with them. Some are traveling. Oh, how we pray that you would give them journeying mercies. Pray for Floyd this morning as he is in Elliott Lake, I believe, and pray that you would be with him as he gives forth the word of God there. 
Lord, we pray for those who minister your word in other countries, our missionaries in India. Pray for them. Lord, for Miriam Tires, where she is, that you would be with her as well. And so many others. Lord, in places where we know so little about, but we know that you are able to use them in a great measure there to proclaim the gospel. Oh Lord, help us all, we pray, to honor you. Remember those of our uh, own who are not well, some who mourn the loss of loved ones. Oh, be, Lord, their comfort, that you would fill that empty space in their hearts with thyself. We thank you again, O Lord, for the time that we can have together here this morning where you promised to be with us. Help us, we pray, to honor you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. He didn't forget, right? He remembered 733. (laughs) During the first message on what can we learn about God in the book of Deuteronomy, that was last March, I mentioned that the five books of Moses, or the Pentateuch, were the only written scripture that many Old Old Testament people had. You and I are so blessed to have the whole of Scripture, the whole Bible, to study, to learn about our great God, our great Lord. The Old Testament books, rather the Old Testament, looks forward to the coming Messiah. The New Testament shows the Lord Jesus Christ as the perfect fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. And from Genesis to Revelation, we learn about God and his wonderful plan of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. The Old Testament points to him, and the New Testament reveals him. But we ask again, what if we had lived in the time of Moses, or Joshua, or even David? What if we had only Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy? What would we know about the qualities, the characteristics, or the attributes of God whom we are to love and to serve? At the end of his life, we are told Moses is reminding his people, the Israelites, of God's greatness, of what he has done for them since he has brought them out of slavery in the land of Egypt, as they are to enter now the promised land. During our first message, we looked at a very important verse in Deuteronomy, and you may remember it, a verse that the Israelites needed to remember, and a verse that you and I also should have and ought to have it on our minds and hearts day and night as well. And that was chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, verse 5. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. From there we went on to think about what Moses and the Israelites would have known about the character of God 
by the time Deuteronomy was written. We found out that they would know that God is gracious. God is powerful. God is personal. A personal God. God is merciful. And that is just the beginning. So today we continue looking into the book of Deuteronomy to discover together what those great attributes that describe the character of God. Before we go into that, let's pray again. Our Heavenly Father, how we need your guiding hand as we open your word. It is your word. Oh Lord, help us to look at it, to see it in the way that you would desire us to see it. Help us, we pray, that this might be honoring to you, giving you glory and praise. We ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So as we consider what Moses knew and taught about God, we recognize our fifth characteristic of God in Deuteronomy, and that is in Deuteronomy 4, verses 35 and 39. Deuteronomy 4, and the two verses there, 35 and 39, as we discover the fifth characteristic. We read there, Unto thee it was showed that thou mightest know that the Lord, he is God. There is none else beside him. Know therefore this day, and consider in thine heart that the Lord, he is God in heaven above, and upon the earth beneath there is none else. Here we read that God is unique. Whether we look at heaven above or the earth around, there is none like God. He is solitary in his excellency. Solitary in his excellency. For this characteristic of God, we could even go backwards a little bit to uh, Moses writing in Exodus, and that is Exodus 15, verse 11. There we read, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Who is like unto thee? What a wonderful description of God. The prophet Isaiah frequently uses the exact same words that Moses used to describe God in his writing. As a matter of fact, in just one chapter, that is chapter 45 of Isaiah, he uses the expression in verse 5, I am the Lord and there is none else. There is no God beside me. Again in verse 6, I am the Lord and there is none else. Repeated in verse 14, there is none else. And encore une fois, verse 18, I am the Lord and there is none else. Verse 21 has a similar thought. There is no God else beside me. And finally, we think of that well-known verse in Isaiah 45, verse 22, that says, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God, and 
there is no other. You might say that Isaiah agrees with Moses then, wouldn't you? I'd like to read Isaiah chapter 40, verses 12 to 18. Isaiah 40, verses 12 to 18, these verses give example after example of God's unique greatness. And I'll be reading from the Amplified Bible. Perhaps it will provide us helpful information in giving us greater shades of meaning. meaning. So I start Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, marked off the heavens with a nine-inch span, and closed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord, or as his counselor has taught him? With whom did he take counsel that instruction might be given him? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are counted as small dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the isles like a very little thing and all Lebanon's forests cannot supply sufficient fuel nor all its wild beasts furnish victims enough to burn sacrifices worthy of the Lord. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are regarded by him as less than nothing, an emptiness, waste, futility, and worthlessness. To whom then will you liken God? Or with what likeness will you compare him? Then verses 21 to 23. You worshippers of idols, you are without excuse. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? These things ought to convince you of God's omnipotence and of the folly of bowing to idols. Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is God who sits above the circle, the horizon of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, It is he who stretches out the heavens like gauze curtains and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in, who brings dignitaries to nothing, who makes the judges and rulers of the earth as chaos, emptiness, falsity, and futility. And then verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not faint or grow weary. There is no searching of his understanding. God. God is unique. And to add to what we have, we have God's words in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 says, I am the Lord. I change not. Malachi 3, verse 6. God's unique character does not change. It cannot be added to or decreased. John tells us in John chapter 4, verse 24, that God is a spirit. And for us to even begin to understand him, 
we read in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, God had to shine in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The God of Scripture can only be known by those to whom He reveals Himself. In the Apostle Paul's doxology in 1 Timothy, Chapter 6, verses 15 and 16. He describes God as the blessed and only potentate or ruler, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Did you notice the repetition there of the word only as the only one we would agree would not would we not that god is unique god is unique that is the character we've been looking at paul urged timothy to remember the god he was serving and in verse 11 of that first timothy 6 in verse 11 says, follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Paul charged Timothy in verse 13 and 14 to keep this commandment. Keep this commandment. How then should you and I respond to this attribute of God? Peter admonishes us in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, saying, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps part of Paul's prayer for the Colossians should be our prayer, and that's Colossians 1 Verse 10, that we might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. God is unique. There is none else. And it is our responsibility to increasingly know him better. Well, that was a lot of exercise going to all those references. However, we need to know that this is from God's word. Thus saith the Lord. Not our own authority, but God's word is the authority. John Newton, the hymn that he wrote, captures God's uniqueness as he writes, and we've sung those words, when there is above all others. Well deserves the name of friend. His is love beyond a brother's, costly, free, and knows no end. They who once his kindness prove find it everlasting love. Oh, for grace our hearts to soften. Teach us, Lord, and at length to love we at last. 
forget too often what a friend we have above. But when home our souls are brought, we will love you as we ought. We look now to our sixth characteristic of God in the book of Deuteronomy, and that's in Deuteronomy 7, verses 7 and 8, and Deuteronomy 23, verse 5. Deuteronomy 7, verses 7 and 8. We read there, The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand, and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Then Deuteronomy 23, verse 5. Nevertheless, the Lord thy God would not hearken unto Balaam, but the Lord thy God turned the curse into a blessing unto thee, because the Lord thy God loved thee. God is loving. God is loving, our sixth attribute or characteristic of God. God set his love on the Israelites. This characteristic is not simply a characteristic of God, but it is his very nature. 1 John 4, verse 8, tells us that God is love. From the verses in Deuteronomy, we are taught that God's love is not influenced. There was nothing in the Israelites to attract or prompt God to love them. As a matter of fact, right near the end of the Bible in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, we read, We love Him because He first loved us. What was there in me? Or the Israelites to attract God? Nothing. Nothing. Absolutely. On the contrary, remember, remember perhaps that but God lessons taught us that we were sinners, ungodly, without strength, enemies, and dead in sin. That's what we were like. Jeremiah expanded on God's love in Jeremiah 31, verse 3, where the testimony is, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. God's love is everlasting love. In the New Testament, Paul adds in Ephesians chapter 3, Verse 19, that God's love passes knowledge. God's love passes knowledge. And we, therefore, sing, loved with everlasting love, led by grace, that love to know, spirit breathing from above, thou hast taught me it is so. Oh, this full and perfect peace, Oh, this transport all divine in a love which cannot cease. I am his and he is mine. One of the 
best known verses perhaps in the Bible, John 3.16, adds, it adds that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. As Easter weekend reminded us, Calvary. Calvary is the ultimate demonstration of God's love. God, in love, chose to deliver the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, give them his commandments, care for all their needs, and teach them how to live and how to worship. At just the right time, he allowed his son to pay the debt that sinners owed. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Christ Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. So what should our response be? John 14, verse 15, should help. It says there, If you love me, keep my commandments. It should be loving obedience. The commandment, or rather the command, you'll recall, that to love, we remember, was given in Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. The command to love is grounded in God's love that he demonstrated to them and to us as well. Remember our B verse, our memory verse in Romans 5 verse 8. But God commended or demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Therefore, Loving obedience is the natural faith response to a loving God. 1 John 4.19 reminds us that we love him because he first loved us, as we said earlier. Paul reminds us of this attribute of God when he ends the book of 2 Corinthians with the words in verse 11, the God of love and peace shall be with you. God is love. And he is the God of love. Love, love. L-O-V-E. Love, love, boundless and free. Jesus left heaven to die on the tree. This was love. Love, love. It's important to note that you and I are responsible to respond in the proper way to these attributes of God. This unique God, we need to get to know him better and serve him faithfully. This loving God is the one we are to love and obey his commandments. Our seventh attribute of God is that he is faithful. 
He is faithful. This attribute is closely related, of course, to the fact that God is loving. We read again the passage in Deuteronomy, chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, but we add verse 9. Verses 7, begin with verse 7, The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Then verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keeps covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. God chose the Israelites not only because he loved them, but he was keeping his promise that he had made to their fathers. The faithful God keeps his covenant. What he promised, he will do. In Deuteronomy 9, Deuteronomy 9, verse 5, the last part of that verse, Moses puts it this way. For the wickedness of these nations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee, and that he may perform the word which the Lord swear unto thy fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, people so often fail in this area. Couples solemnly promise to be faithful to each other on their wedding day, but a few years later break these promises. Governments promise to cut taxes, but before long they put them up instead. Most of us promise ourselves to be better, but soon we break that resolution. But God is faithful. God is faithful to his word. He will never break his promise. Even before Moses' day, both Abraham, we see in Romans 4, 20 and 21, and Sarah in Hebrews eleven eleven, know that God is faithful who promised them a son. Scripture is full of illustrations of God's faithfulness. Jeremiah wrote in Lamentations 3, verses 22 and 23, His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Those who are trusting the Lord can rest in him. Or as Hebrews 10.23 says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Why? For he is faithful that promised. God cannot fail. While we are here on earth, we have the confidence and promise, one we can embrace as recorded in 1 John Chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
Paul gave these wonderful words of assurance to the Thessalonians and to us in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 23 and 24, saying, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calls you, who also will do it. God will do it. He is faithful to the end. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. However, there is another side to these wonderful attributes of God. God has not only told us the good things, but he has faithfully given us the alternatives. He's faithfully described the fall of man into sin. He's faithfully diagnosed the terrible state which sin has produced. And he has faithfully warned that he must punish sin. All through the history of the Israelites, God illustrated this solemn fact in the way he dealt with Pharaoh, Korah, Achan, and a host of others. And that ought to be a lesson for us as well. In John 3, verse 18, Jesus' own words are a warning, saying, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The reason is there. John the Baptist had the same message in John 3, verse 36, saying, He that believeth on the Son has everlasting life, and he that believes not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. The reason is there as well. But the good news remains the same. The good news remains the same. In John 5, verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that hears my word and believes on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. These are the Lord Jesus' own words. Our unique Loving and faithful God will save to the uttermost those who come to God by the Lord Jesus. Hebrews 7 verse 25. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, Jesus. Seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. That word uttermost is quite the word, isn't it? Save to the uttermost. I'd like to read a story that demonstrates faithful love. Gran, Gran Lindsley, or 
Grandma Lindsay, who lives in Burlington, Ontario, has this scripture printed on a magnet on her fridge. Love is patient. Love is kind. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always preserves. And that is from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 and 7. To visitors, it is only a magnet. To her family, it's a gentle reminder of a cherished, cherished family story. All began with a message in the town newspaper saying, For Lindsay, darling, I am well. Hope you and the children are fine. The year was 1943. A ham radio operator had picked up the fragmented message and directed it to the small town newspaper. Martha Lindsay had written 13 long months for word from the Red Cross that her husband William Lindsay had survived the sinking of the HMS Exeter in March 1st, 1942. She did her best to stay busy with the children, always keeping William in her prayers. One afternoon, the Red Cross finally contacted her with the news that she had been praying for. William had been located and was a, currently a prisoner of war. Martha's heart soared. William was alive. She'd never given up hope. The Red Cross told Martha to begin writing messages to William. Short messages, no more than 25 words, on a plain white postcard and forwarding them to Geneva. From there, the Red Cross would try to get the postcards to William. Only one postcard a month was permitted. Martha began by telling William about the antics of their children, Billy and Catherine, who had been babies the last time he saw them. She also did her best to express her love and devotion to her husband on the small white postcard. In just 25 words, she kept reminding him that he was loved. Two and a half agonizing years came and went without receiving an answer from William. But Martha's faith and hope never faltered. One September morning in 1945, as Martha was getting ready to take the children to school, the mail carrier delivered a small scrap of paper through the mail slot. It had no envelope or stamp. As she turned the paper over, her heart began to pound. Soon her eyes filled with tears as she recognized William's handwriting. Martha, I've been released. I'm coming home. On a beautiful day in October 1945, William Lindsay returned home to his family. After their tears and joy had subsided, Martha asked William if he had received her cards. Sadly, she learned that not one card had found its way to him in the prisoner of war camp. Shortly after William's return home, there was a knock at the door one day. Martha answered and found a young sailor standing in the doorway. Excuse me, are you Martha Lindsay? he asked. Yes, I am, she replied. Was your husband a prisoner of war? Yes, she whispered. With tears in his eyes, he introduced himself. My name is William Lindsay. 
I was a prisoner of war too. And he reached into his pocket and very gently, so gently, handed her 30 tiny white postcards tied with a ribbon. I received one of these every month, the young sailor told her. They gave me hope and helped me to survive. From the bottom of my heart, I thank you. Martha, just as gently, placed the cards back in his hands and he held them to his heart. Love is patient. Love is kind. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Only God has that kind of love. And only God can help us to love in such a way. Today we've added to God's attributes that Moses and the Israelites knew that God is a unique God, a loving and faithful God. And since He is an unchanging God, the same yesterday, today and forever, you and I can know those same attributes about God, the God we love and we serve. If you've not given your heart and life to this one that we've been talking about today, may today be the day that you come to Him, asking Him for forgiveness, confessing that you are a sinner, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, the Word tells us. And as you do so, you can know that He is faithful, that He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And remember that there is nothing that you and I can do to save ourselves, to pay for our sins. Jesus did it all. Jesus did it all for us when he died on the cross of Calvary that dreadful day. God forgives us because the Lord Jesus Christ paid the price for our sins. Amen. Braden, would you come, please? Great is thy faithfulness. Hymn number 819.